0: Philly Built is brought to you by phillyzoning.com, Philadelphia's zoning authority, and that's powered by Anastasio Law. Hi folks, welcome back to Philly Built. Today on the program, we have no politicians and no planners. There's really no big policy issue or development to examine. Instead, we are dedicating the entire podcast to one neighborhood, a neighborhood in which I fell in love more than 30 years ago, Philadelphia's Old City. It's past, it's present, it's future, right here on a very special episode of Philly Built. And with us today is the Executive Director of Old City District, Mr. Job Itzkowitz. Job, welcome to Philly Built. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. And thanks for being here. So how long have you been executive director of the Old City District?
1: I've been here about eight years.
0: Okay. Just seen a lot of different changes, I'm sure, huh?
1: Well, it's interesting. Um, you know, if you're my age and around your age, you can remember Old City having some issues at the turn of the millennium of being a, a nightclub destination and with a lot of nuisance behavior. And that still existed reputationally when I started back in 2014, though the issues were becoming increasingly de minimis. Um, but if you ask young people today whether Old City has that reputation, it's just a foreign concept for them. So, you know, it's an old, it's old City, right? So a lot of the buildings have been here for a long time, but the uses change over time.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned uh, the music scene because I'm gonna take you down memory lane a little bit. Um, <laughs> If you came up, if you lived in the city or hung out in the city um, a lot in the mid to late 80s and throughout the 90s, Old City was a very special place. Um, It was the place of revival, of the black banana, uh, to a lesser extent, uh, the grapevine. There was a real music scene here in Old City. It was an artist colony and a small music colony in a lot of ways. There were places where people could just let go, have fun, dance the night away until two, three, four o'clock in the morning, um, and really came of age. I went to those places myself from what I can remember. Uh, And it was a lot of, you know, a lot for a lot of people, uh, a rite of passage. Was there not a concerted effort by the now dismantled Old City Neighbors Association to ensure places like that no longer existed?
1: Uh, You know, I'm not sure I would characterize it in quite the same way. Um, I I think, you know, to to paint it with a broader stroke uh, and more generally, the uses in Old City are shaped by its historic architecture, in my personal opinion. Um, so historically, Old City was the port, the port was right at you know, Market Street or High Street and the river. Uh, and what you ended up having, you know, we have some some longstanding colonial buildings, but those are fewer and far between. Really, what we have are a lot of mid 19th century, larger warehousing like commercial, industrial and manufacturing buildings. Um, and as you alluded to in the 70s. Uh, Artists started moving into open studios, to open galleries, and then some of the bars you referenced also came in. Um, and that was true, you know, because the spaces were inexpensive and nobody really lived here. If you look back at the 1980 census, uh, the population of Old City was about 800 people. Uh, today it's close to 7,000 people. So, you know, as time progressed and Old City became more of a destination, Panorama opened uh, in 1990, Continental opened in 1995. It was really towards the late 90s um, that it became much more of a lounge and club scene. Uh, And there wasn't an effort to get rid of live music. There wasn't an effort to, um, you know, shut down good operators, but with large crowds comes nuisance behavior. And you know, my understanding, the Civic um, predeceased my role here, and the Civic right. uh, shuttered in 2013 and I started in 2014. Right. But there were efforts with the Civic and with the District to um, get some control over liquor licenses um, and the licensees. There are more liquor licenses per capita in Old City, Philadelphia than anywhere else in the Commonwealth. Uh, and that creates a problem particularly with a growing residential population. So, you know, there were a variety of efforts undertaken. One was the um, working with state authorities to um, file petitions to intervene on liquor licenses so that uh, parties could agree to conditional license agreements that would limit nuisance behavior. Uh, But some of that was targeted at zoning. And, you know, the city doesn't control liquor licenses. It's a state issue. But the city can control zoning. So there were efforts undertaken, uh, oh, I don't know, in the early aughts by the prior council member to regulate restaurant uses, which the city does have some control over. Uh, at, at that time, uh, restaurant uses then required a variance north of Market Street, but we're still by right south of Market Street. And that has since become uh, a special exception throughout for new restaurant uses.
0: Right, and, and for, for folks who are listening, uh, the special exception requirement Uh, ensures that the community gets to hear from the proposed operator to ensure that they're going to be operating um, not only under a good business model, but with the concerns of the community, uh, the growing residential community, of course, uh, in mind. Uh, But those let's get back to those uh, LCB controls agreements that Old City uh, Civic Association would require each and every new applicant seeking to open with a, with a liquor license to enter into. And one of the provisions in each and every one of those agreements was a complete ban on dancing. So as each and every new operation signed those agreements, it became less and less likely that Old City would remain the home of places like Revival and the Black Banana. And I think some of the unintended consequence was not only the almost complete elimination of the nightclub in Old City, with the exception of maybe Brazil's, uh, but almost the complete elimination of live music venues in Old City. Uh, The Tin Angel is gone. Uh, The Kyber doesn't do nearly what it used to do as far as uh, um, live music. Do you think this was an unintended consequence of the aggressive um, approach to trying to ensure that dancing would be Practically prohibited in Old City.
1: You know, you paint a picture of, um, of Philadelphia's favorite son, Kevin Bacon, in Footloose. Uh, and I don't think um, that was the design. I mean, You really have to have an understanding of what it looked like on the streets in Old City as you approached 2010 um and by the time 2010 hit i think you and i were both probably too old to be going out uh in old city oh yeah but you had you know at one point 30 something nightclubs um glam mint moda m lounge mad river uh 27 32 degrees uh and and the list goes on and on suede Um, Red Sky, I mean, for your listeners who are my age or younger, you'll probably remember some of those places. They were so many within a four block area that at 2 a.m. when they closed, uh, thousands of people would pour onto the streets. Uh, And the police and and PPA ended up prohibiting street parking uh, on Friday and Saturday nights once it hit a certain hour so that they could... Manage the crowds pouring just into the so streets.
0: The, just so the crowds could get dispersed? Wow.
1: Okay. Yes. Um, and then you're simultaneously seeing this growing population. I mean, it's not so dissimilar from what happened in the meatpacking district, right? It was an empty warehouse area where there were nightclubs. And suddenly, when residents are moving in because they like the architecture or the neighborhood, uh, you end up with this. Um, Conflict between people who want to make a lot of noise out on the streets at night and people who spend a lot of money to live above that noise and uh, who might not have realized that they were moving to the nuisance. Um, so, you know, I think to your point, a balance could be appropriate. And that's what's happened over time. But, um, you know, was it uh, taking a, a sledgehammer to a molehill? Maybe, but I think if you were living here at the time, you would have seen the justification for that.
0: Yeah, especially if you live north of Was- uh, Market Street, for sure. Right. Uh, where that's you know, primary, the, right, the primary uh, residential hub is all, mostly north of Market.
1: Still. Right, it's still more densely residential north of Market. And so they were trying to prevent the spread of those nightclubs further north.
0: Right. Let's start talk, talk about the art scene. Um, You know, Old City minted First Friday. Uh, It was, as you said in the 70s, a burgeoning artist colony. Uh, As I remember it in the late 80s and most of the 90s, it was still thriving art scene. Uh, Since then, the Clay Studio has left 2nd Street. Um, The Painted Bride was sold to a developer for residential use. Uh, And I believe the Modern Gallery has also left for parts north. Um, where I first saw uh, George uh, Nakashima's beautiful woodwork. So that's, they're places I remember pretty clearly uh, back in the 90s, uh, and they're gone. Has new places replaced them? What's the state of the arts in Old City today in 2022?
1: It's a great question. Um, so, as you mentioned, First Friday was founded in 1991 organically by the businesses that were here. you know, Just to put a time perspective on it, Center City District was founded the same year. Old City District wasn't even founded until 1998. So First Friday has been going on. Uh, We just celebrated its 30th anniversary this year. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, But it's organic. We're not the coordinators. We help promote it, but these are the businesses coming together and saying this is something that we want to do. But times change. And similarly to what happened with the nightclubs, you might point the finger at residents wanting to put controls on the behavior as leading to the decline of nightclubs. Generational preferences change too. So with regards to nightclubs, you know, I'm I'm a young Gen Xer. Uh, I like to, you know, dress up and wear something uh you know a little bit fancier than it might otherwise wear and sit on a small cushion and spend too much on a martini whereas millennials and gen zers might prefer to wear something more comfortable and get a really good, good quality beer and have something a bit more casual and and i think that has happened with nightclubs nationwide generationally similarly with art you see um, the art scene has changed, right? Back in the day, if you wanted to buy art and you weren't a professional, you didn't have a buyer for you, but you wanted to go explore, you would go to a gallery, you would look at it in person. Um, Now, a lot of art is sold on Instagram or the internet. A lot of art is sold at art shows. And so you see fewer and fewer galleries. I still think there are more galleries in Old City than any other neighborhood in the city. But we went from a peak of having 50 galleries to probably uh, about 15 now. But what's come in is the same sense of art and design. So we have a lot of design showrooms, a lot of um, people selling furniture from all over the world, uh, a lot of attraction for interior designers. Um, And what also was cultivated by that art scene was boutique retail. I mean, going back again to, to the architecture of these buildings, I'm sitting uh, in an office that's 20 feet wide and 100 feet deep, right? Target, mini Target, CVS, they don't want these spaces. These spaces are best born by independent retailers. Uh, and so our our uh, art galleries were owned by independents. Our furniture showrooms are owned by independents. Most of our restaurants are independent. Uh, and then we have a lot of boutique retailers that are independent and more and more every day.
0: Um, and that's kind so of I artsy this, in and it of itself.
1: Right, it's right. creative, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, no matter what, you're you're a creative, and you're selling. Oftentimes, you're selling things by artisan makers uh, who are local. We have several stores like that. Um, so, the you know, it's not strictly art, but there's you know, it's a diverse neighborhood that is it forms a cohesive whole uh, sure. in terms of what the retail attraction is. That's a you know,
0: diversifying creativity, I guess, is, is never a bad thing, and the it, Old City's art, quote-unquote art scene, is maturing, and uh, I like the idea of meeting the consumer where they are, you know, and, and I often forget about these younger folks who uh, might uh, engage with art differently than uh, us Gen Xers, so that's right. a good point.
1: And, and you, th- know, me- you know, to, to your point, yeah, the loss of the Clay Studio is a big loss, but it is a loss generated by their own success. They outgrew right. their space and needed more, and that's a great thing. And we hope that someone else will come in and outgrow their space because they're so successful in Old City.
0: Right, by the very nature of the buildings in Old City, uh, there's only so much you can do with them. Exactly. So that makes that makes sense. You mentioned CVS, and you know, I'm reminded of a conversation I had with a couple business owners uh, recently that pointed to the CVS and the new 7-Eleven across the street, both on market, as um, places that they believe attracted uh, homelessness, aggressive panhandling, um, and a little bit more lawlessness than, than they were used to. And perhaps even uh, folks who are you know dealing with drug challenges uh, in and around those two particular chain sort of places. Uh, and they feel as though, uh, it's makes a tough environment for those of those folks who are working in the restaurant industry, uh, even more tough. I mean, you all have had a deal with a big arson at third and chestnut just a few years back. Then of course the entire industry was closed. And then when it reopened mid pandemic, there were strict capacity limits, um, talk about what those who own and operate and work in the hospitality industry, food and beverage in Old City is dealing with and how the district is trying to help.
1: Sure. Um, So, you know, you mentioned two of the hits. We actually had a a longer series of unfortunate events. Um, We're so impacted by the federal government, uh, given the nature of, of having the Customs House, which is a large federal office building right in the heart of the district, Uh, all of the tourist attractions, Independence Hall, the Liberty Bell. And so during a five-year time frame, we had that arson one winter. Uh, One winter, we had a government shutdown, which has lasting impact because tourists then can't book trips because they don't know when things will be back open. Um, We had a massive catastrophic water main break at the corner of Third and Arch that shut down the blocks for months leading up to the pandemic. It happened in January, 2020, so we had months of closures before the pandemic shutdowns. Um, I'm proud to say that Old City District uh, played a leading role in helping hospitality by working with the Pennsylvania Restaurant and Lodging Association and the Philadelphia Bid Alliance to advocate for outdoor dining during the pandemic. We came up with a policy that was a four-prong policy, which was uh, allowing cafe seating, which means sidewalk seating in front of your business by right. Allowing cafe seating, uh, at your neighbor's property with their permission, but by right, meaning you don't need anything other than a permit, um, advocating for, uh, streeteries. So parking in, uh, sorry, dining in a parking spot and advocating for street closures. And old city district was the first bid to shut down the block for outdoor dining during the pandemic. Uh, in the summer of 2020
0: and what a great job you did i have to say hats off to you i've know many owners on second street between chestnut and market and they all say unanimously that saved them closing that street allowing folks to put their tables and chairs outside literally saved almost each and every one of those eating and drinking establishments on second street
1: It's great to hear. Thank you. Um, And we would love to do it more. There are challenges, right? Because there's parking lots with (laughs) egresses. And in 2020, they were very helpful because I think the operators knew that if the restaurants went away, they weren't going to have anyone parking there in the future. Um, And so, you know, one of those lots has since been developed. Uh, Another lot will likely be developed and hopefully there'll be more opportunities in the future, you know, both to maintain the streeteries and to shut streets down for uh, uses other than vehicles.
0: Yeah, uh, that block of Second Street, uh, for you know the casual observer, between Chestnut and Market, seems to be the central nervous system of the f- food and beverage uh, industry in Old City, with places like Nick's Bar and Grill and Plow and the Stars, Sassafras, and Cuba Libre, Brownies, all of those wonderful places. Uh, you know that have become iconic in a lot of ways um, and, and draw big crowds. But one can't help but notice in the f- smack dab in the middle uh, 9, 11 and 13 South 2nd. Uh, there are three properties that have been vacant for a very long time. I'm sure and I know your efforts to, to uh, try and get long, long neglected by absentee landlords uh, properties uh, into the hands of people who could breathe new life into them. And I know the district has played a, a great role in that. Um, what's the rub with 9, 11, and 13 South Second?
1: Uh, there's a, a famous article in City Paper by Ryan Briggs from 2013 yep. um, addressing this very issue. Uh, and every time there's an update, I reach out to Ryan and say, hey, you won't <laughs> believe what happened. So there are when uh, that
0: when that article was written, by the way, this was a widespread problem all over Old City, uh, and it really has improved greatly.
1: So we still have a handful of hands off. Senior property owners Um, in the case of of the properties you just mentioned, the uh, The property owner is, I think would be about 120 or 130 years old. It is in her uh, son's control. Um, He's in his 90s. So, you know, we've, you know, I've spoken to him. He's hard to reach. Um, But what we try and do is help get the properties that where owners are amenable to making improvements um, and are amenable to developing them we try and make it easier for them to develop. We, um, I don't know if if you're even aware of this, but uh, last year we worked to eliminate parking minimums in Old City uh, because it's just not the right environment and there's excess parking capacity in Old City. uh, So that can help with some of the remaining vacant lots. Uh, We work to attract retail tenants to make properties more attractive. Uh, We promote the city's storefront improvement programs and uh, business security camera grants. Anything we can do to help Old City continue to grow, not anything we can do, right? We still have values that we're working from, right? Sure. We wanna preserve historic and creative character. Um, we wanna make the neighborhood more walkable. Uh, but you know, anything that's in line with our values that we can do to help grow the neighborhood and make the neighborhood better, we're gonna try and do. But ultimately, if the properties are in private hands, if the taxes are paid, if there's no L&I violations and if they are keep up with their vacancy licenses, um, that means they're doing everything they can do legally to squat on the property. And so it's up to the market dynamic to persuade them because regulation will not.
0: Yeah, it's it's incredibly hard to do anything about it if they dot all their I's and cross their T's legally. Um, right. But I know you guys are working hard on it.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've certainly explored uh, places where conservatorship might be an option, but while they keep these places vacant, they don't necessarily meet the legal definitions of blighted. There is one example. There was a vacant lot that was intentionally blighted, and um, we had to build a relationship with the property owner who was extremely distrustful of government, distrustful of Old City District. Uh, I had to build a, a trusting relationship with him, Uh, And ultimately, he allowed us to convert the lot into was essentially the equivalent of Philadelphia or Pennsylvania Horticultural Society land cleaning program, which is just a lawn with a brown picket fence. Uh, And a year later, someone leased the space uh, and it's now an outdoor beer garden. So, you know, that's That's both economic stoves, stoves, that's that's it. Um, You know, and there's complaints because it's an outdoor beer garden, but People who weren't here don't remember that the owner had intentionally left mounds of dirt and holes of dirt in the property to make it unappealing. Yeah, it was on a On purpose. It yeah. Mess. <laughs> so yeah, I, it was I a challenge, but that. but I'm proud of it because I think it made an improvement. And you put you
0: know um, a place where people can go. There's a lot more activity on that corner, and it's a place of mm-hmm. commerce, which is what you all are all about, right? Exactly. Uh, When they started Center City District in the way back, uh, Paul Levy said, at the end of the day, it's about clean and safe. What are the challenges that you all at Old City District are dealing with uh, from your perspective? I'll share some that I've gotten from readers and and listeners who've emailed in. But first, I want to hear from your perspective, what are the challenges to keep, maintain, clean and safe in Old City?
1: Let me tell you a little bit about our cleaning program um, and some of the challenges that arise with that uh, and then um, some other issues. We have a staff of five full time ambassadors who clean the streets every day, 7 a.m. to 3 p.m., along with a manager. But our role is to supplement municipal services in all of the things that we do. Um, So, you know, we can't empty trash cans, you know, we can't take away people's private trash. We don't have a trash truck. We sweep litter. We um, weed uh, planters and weed sidewalks and try to maintain and remove stickers and and small graffiti on public objects and try to maintain a presence um, that way and keep the neighborhood clean that way. And we clean about 3,500, maybe closer to 4,000 bags of trash off the streets every year. Um, we remove needles. We remove feces, both animal and human. Uh, we do power washing. Uh, and it's it's a lean but robust operation. But there are things that are beyond our control. The opioid epidemic is beyond our control. Uh, and so we work with city agencies to try and address hotspots, uh, but we're still picking up needles every day. Yeah. Um, There are also issues with staffing. So it's hard to staff. Our team has been in place for months, which is great. But two guys were out with COVID last week and they can't come back in with COVID. And so we're short uh, and that makes it challenging. And the same thing has happened across city departments. uh, But one of our biggest challenges is with sanitation enforcement. Um, The city has a great department under sanitation called SWEEP. It's their sanitation enforcement program. We would like to have our sweep officer down here every day because we could get tickets written on on uh, violators every day and by violators i mean people who are putting their trash out not on trash day and that is happening recently for two reasons one there's airbnbs and airbnb housekeeping can put trash out on the street every day without repercussion and they'll never get flagged for a ticket because there's no identifying information in the trash that's taken out of Airbnb. So Vern, you were to put your trash out and you had a, a bill, uh, your water bill was in the trash and you put it out early, the sweep would find it and say, Vern's getting a ticket. But with Airbnb, you don't have that experience. Most people aren't putting personally identifiable information into their trash uh, you know, in a, in a rental room. Correct. Um, the the other problem we're having, but uh, couldn't they couldn't they
0: ticket the owner of the building? I mean, if you put trash out in front of one, two, three, four market, uh, no matter whose trash it is, ultimately it is the owner's responsibility. No.
1: Yes, but we do have issues where there's condos. And they can't ticket the association because the right. association doesn't own the building. Right. So sometimes they'll write a ticket and they'll write a ticket to the first person who appeared alphabetically first on the street list. No, and that's okay. not fair because, no, no, they, no. but that's really the only way they can put it into the system. But it's not fair to that person who doesn't use their space as an Airbnb. That's one part. The uh, Another problem is that. With work from home, a lot of people in Old City live in studios, they live in one bedroom apartments, they used to get up in the morning, go out for a cup of coffee, throw that coffee cup out at work, have lunch, throw that stuff out at work or at the restaurant they were at, go out for happy hour, come home and maybe eat dinner at home. Now you have people who are in their house a lot, in their home a lot, and they're generating more trash and there's limitations on how much trash storage can exist on the streets or in the buildings of Old City because many of them have 100% land occupancy and there's very little room for (laughs) trash storage. So that's not anything that where someone's doing something wrong, right? They're not trying to violate anything. They're not intentionally dumping trash early, but there's just trash overflowing in certain places. So we just had a walk around last week with Councilman Squella and uh, Fruke Scott from the sanitation department to try and uh, address some of these issues: the repeat offenders, whom we know about, the ones who aren't carefully, um, you know, locking up their trash as they should. But really, what what we try and do, in the same way that we looked at streeteries as or, or closed streets as an opportunity, we look for other for best practices from other places also. So if you look at uh, Portugal. Many of their cities have underground trash storage. There are companies doing that in the US where everyone on the street can just dump their trash, goes down the little chute. I don't expect that to happen in Old City or in Philadelphia. I don't expect Philadelphia to develop Copenhagen's pneumatic tube trash management system. But One thing that Barcelona does is they aggregate large but very clean dumpsters at the end of every block or every other block, and people can throw their trash out there. Well, right now, we're having this issue with um, toters. Uh, Those are the small-looking dumpsters that you can wheel back and forth with with your hands. And because of the proliferation of of new restaurants— By the way— Retailers and, and restaurants are, are really picking up steam in terms of leasing, and we can talk about that. But we have a lot of toters and not a lot of space to store them. So I suggested maybe we use the Barcelona system in miniature or the streetery system in miniature and create twenty or twenty linear feet of parking space for everyone on the block to put their toters, and that way we don't have this issue of walking past toters every, you know, every couple of feet as you walk down the one hundred block of Chestnut Street.
0: Right, or Strawberry Street, or Bank Street, or, you
1: know. uh, Well, you know, Strawberry Street's a little bit tougher, right? Because that's really a combination. For those of you who don't know, Strawberry Street is probably about 12 feet wide, um, you know, maybe 15, but a vehicle could not pass another vehicle on that. And some of those properties are Second Street properties where, that have restaurants that are rear-facing on Strawberry. And some of those properties are residential properties with Strawberry Street addresses. And so you have the dumpsters from the restaurants on there, but you also have residents walking in um, and, and it's, hard to, it's hard to steer that block in one direction or the other. So we do our best. We just power washed it last week. Um, and we try and flag these, ins- these issues. The other thing that we have, um, fortunately with the sixth district, we have a foot patrol officer started a few years ago in response to residential complaints, police officer. I mean, um, yep. we had a bike patrol officer, he retired and we got a foot patrol officer who's here five days a week. Uh, during the week, who's outstanding, um, gives out his yeah, cell that's phone some number.
0: Of the, that's some of the feedback that we have received uh, via email uh, from listeners, is that they're really, really pleased with the patrol person, uh, you know, the police officer that patrols during the day. And, it seems and this to is be a model. The, it yeah. seems to be the nighttime, though, where folks scratch their head as to why there aren't more police officers, especially at second and third in market. Uh, I know you can't control that. You can, there's only so much you can do. What uh, is, would you like to see more police protection in the evening, presence and deterrence in the evening?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I don't think anyone who's listening to your podcast is unaware of some of the staffing issues going on in the Philadelphia Police Department right now. You have hundreds of officers out on leave, uh, and there are serious recruitment problems. Uh, there are limitations to recruitment regarding residency requirements, so those have been waived. But I think what you see a lot of times is officers get a few years of experience and they can get recruited out to the suburbs or the Jersey Shore where um, you know, it's a, a, perhaps a better paying job, perhaps lesser risk. Um, but that's why you know, the model of the foot patrol officer is so helpful because it's a deterrent, right? It, it, the right. city was focused large, you know, you can't put everything on the police. It make everything the police's responsibility. Um, and so there are things we can do to deter crime that don't require an officer standing on the corner, especially if we're short staffed, right? And those things include litter, abatement. Um, they include street lighting, uh, cameras, Um, but also having people on the street, I mean, having customers on the street, that foot traffic helps people. One thing that we're still suffering with is, you know, our, our visitation traffic is back. Um, our residential foot traffic is back, but our office workers aren't quite back yet. Uh, and you know, will they ever turn to a hundred percent? Probably not. But if they were back a little bit more, you would have more of that feeling of, of eyes on the street, um, that would be so helpful to cities nationwide.
0: And I'm glad you mentioned the brighter sidewalks. I did a very deep dive in your Old City Vision 2026 plan, which is sort of like a master plan for Old City that was, um, I guess, started in 2015 Mm -hmm. or or so, and I've looked into the updates and it looks like you're doing the very best you can with especially these last few years and the struggles and challenges that you've had lighted sidewalks for those especially those little streets you know the bread streets uh, uh, the bank streets or the strawberries like we talked about where are we with that goal is it still aspirational or are we making strides on lighting up these sidewalks
1: both um you know as you alluded to we're a small organization we have a six-figure budget and uh, lighting a sidewalk costs about. Depends depends on the length, but between two hundred and fifty and five hundred thousand dollars a block. Yep. Uh, so this happened actually on four blocks of Third Street between Chestnut and Race, or maybe between Chestnut and Florist, under the Nutter administration. Business owners complained it was too dark because there's large tree canopy, especially north of Market, mm-hmm. uh, and there were only highway lights. So um, the Nutter administration, with support from Center City District, installed street lighting and we would like to replicate that pedestrian lighting everywhere. Um, My colleague in Northern Liberties is looking at uh, solar version but we wouldn't be able to match that lighting to the lighting we have in any efficient way. Uh, So we've reached out to some engineering firms recently and gotten some quotes to work with to um, put forward into um, grant applications and my general approach is look I don't think we can go get Uh, you know, a $20 million grant to do the whole thing. But if we can do a block at a time or two blocks at a time and grow it, um, that will have the same long-term benefit once everything is installed. But I'll say that, you know, coming out of the the vision process, we released it in 2016 and the goal was to advocate, you know, we thought it would be a plan and we realized, well, the district doesn't own any land. um, So we can't control any land. We can't legislate. So we can't dictate what public uses are. Um, or what we do on the roadway. So really what became was this vision document from which we advocate for changes to the neighborhood. Uh, And so one of those major changes is the Market Street Transformation Project. And that has legs. That is through 30% engineering. It's fully funded. It's gonna add two bike lanes to Market Street between second and sixth. Uh, bus islands, everything that you would want to see to improve the pedestrian experience on what is currently now, with parking, a six lane road.
0: Right. That's great to hear. Um, let's talk about under the bridge uh, activation and the big park that will connect Old City to Delaware Avenue, you know, the Delaware, uh, uh, over Delaware Avenue and into Penn's Landing. Mm-hmm. Two things that I'm totally psyched about. Uh, uh, so, talk about those two uh,
1: plans. So, yeah, I mean, the cap park is unbelievable. I mean, I don't know that in our lifetimes we'll see another quarter billion dollar infrastructure project uh, in our area. I mean, it's just a massive, massive project and will be so important because Old City is a riverfront neighborhood and always was a riverfront neighborhood. You know, I mentioned earlier that, you know, the architecture is based on its proximity to the port and now all of the uses are informed by that. Um, And 95 cutting the neighborhood off from, from the river was terrible. So I think it's an incredible opportunity. There's still a lot of actually opportunity to develop. Uh, right in that area. It'll be on, essentially it will run front and gently slope to the river in between Chestnut and Walnut Streets, uh, And it'll, it will really be a game changer. I uh, think yeah. so. It,
0: it also answers uh, a concern that I hear about Old City not being conducive to families with children, because A number one, there's no supermarket, but B, there's not enough green space and outdoor space. That would solve this problem.
1: Um, well, we've already scratched the supermarket ticket off, so that was on our vision document specifically to bring in the supermarket. And well, we have
0: River Wards, right?
1: Yeah, just named best supermarket in Philadelphia in, in this month's Best of Philly yeah, issue in Philadelphia a, Magazine. Awesome place, um, awesome place. It, it's really incredible, and they took an historic building and restored it. So it will solve some of the issues for families. Um, you, you're right. There's actually almost no municipally owned land in old city uh it, there's plenty of federal parkland independence mall right. um, the south side you know north of walnut and south of chestnut between second and sixth also uh, but there's no playgrounds there but the other right. challenge with old city is that there's not a lot of family housing uh so if you're looking for a three-bedroom apartment a three-bedroom condo there's not much of that either so for a smaller family sure it's comfortable, but then you're right, and you're in a great school district. You're in McCall, um, right. But you're right. There's there's not a playground, nor is there really a place to put a playground. There's the firehouse and the adjacent pocket park is where there is publicly owned or municipally owned land in the neighborhood.
0: Is the Christchurch Park is is that owned by the federal government as part of the um, uh, of the the national uh, historic Area, or is that privately owned by the Episcopal Church?
1: Um, so, you're referring to the park at Second and Market Streets. It is right, owned Church by the federal government. It's it's formerly it? Wilson, formerly Wilson Park. Christchurch does not prefer people to refer to it as Christchurch Park because that implicates that they have some ownership or maintenance responsibility that they do not. That park was that? created it- by tearing down traditional old city warehouse buildings in the 1960s as a part of urban renewal At the same time they tore down the mall um, with a two-fold goal for that park. One was to insulate the church from fire risk, which is a, a great goal, um, especially because Old City is no stranger to damaging fires. The other was to create a viewshed of the church. And so, you know, in our vision document, and ultimately we did a Market Street transformation study that has three components, um, one is the market street improvements we just mentioned one is creating a pedestrian plaza that is a shared space with cars at second and market um, and one is improving that park uh, to make it a more desirable public space
0: nice i know i've played in that park with my with my kids myself so uh, it's a it's a great little space and i think no one knew that christchurch had nothing to do with it so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I certainly didn't I just want to ask you bigger picture are you bullish on the future of old city
1: oh absolutely absolutely bullish. tell me why so, um you know a few reasons one the pandemic was scary right we oh, didn't yeah. know what would happen um and and how folks would recover the federal support helped a lot of our businesses stay open but nevertheless, we lost a lot of businesses. Um, some were folks who were going to retire anyway and they just retired early. Some were souvenir shops that couldn't make it during two years of, of decreased tourism. Yeah. Um, so everyone had a different reason, but you know, there's no doubt that the pandemic hurt that. And our vacancy rate nearly doubled. Uh, we were at a point where we were at 20% vacancy in December of 2020. Since January of 2021, 51 new businesses have opened in retail spaces. More are coming, um, and more leases are signed, uh, and there is just this renewal in our storefronts of activity. Um, So I feel bullish about our retail situation. Awesome. I'm I see looking. it. I see
0: it. Too. I see it myself. I'm sure a lot of folks do. New ice cream parlors, which you know, you can, yeah, right you next can never door have, to my right, office. Right. You, you, can, you can, never can have it
1: me. a little further right. away. I mean, it's not great <laughs> that ever, it's right next door. You <laughs> but, can never but, have um, enough
0: ice cream parlors. <laughs> uh, and you've just been recognized. The city, uh, old City's just been recognized by Philly Mag as uh, a wedding hub of all things. You know, for folks who uh, want to get married and buy jewelry and dresses and. Uh, even have their reception at Power Plant, which is just north of the bridge, which is a beautiful space for weddings. Um, I was surprised to read about it, but I think it's great.
1: Well, it's it's been fascinating to see this uptick. So we've seen a couple of different industries tick up, but none more so than businesses that are either specifically wedding-related, like, um, like uh, bridal gowns or bridesmaids gowns, um, or tangentially related, like men's suiting, uh, which could be applicable in for a wedding, but otherwise. And so we realized we had so many of these businesses co-located. We said, hey, maybe there's an opportunity here to, um, say, to, to let everyone know that. Uh, so we ended up organizing uh, all of these businesses, and we're having a, a wedding stroll promotion next week um, to let people come down and explore all these businesses. But there's 45 businesses included. Now, some of those are restaurants that are going to, you know, maybe they're a place you go out for dinner, but also you could have a rehearsal dinner there or a brunch there. Um, some of them sell jewelry, some of them sell invitations. So there's just a huge opportunity and you can have Old City be a one-stop shop for wedding. But this goes back to what we were talking about earlier about creative uses in these spaces. The bridal salon that's taking uh, 500 square feet or thousand square feet is always going to be an independent operator. You know, CVS is never right. going to look at that space. Mini Target's never going to look at that space. And right. so you end up, by the nature of these buildings, preserving uh, independent retail.
0: So you're a man about town. You have been the executive director of Old City for Old City District for eight years. I'm sure you get out to eat often. This does not have, I don't want to put you in a bad spot. You don't have to pick a place in Old City. But when you want to settle down to a really great meal, where does Job go?
1: Um, so I obviously can't pick a restaurant in Old City going to be playing favorites. Right, you'll give you a free pass um, on that. Yeah, thank you. Um, and I have a three-year-old, so I'm not getting out as often as I used to. <laughs> Congratulations, um, by the way. Thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, it's been it's been fun being trapped in a house for a couple of years with a toddler. <laughs> <I> <laughs> um, yeah, Vern, I will tell you uh, to. I was a Little Pete's guy on 17th Street. And the best news is that my parents bought a condo in the Philadelphian where the last remaining Little Pete's exists. (laughs) So um, I can get over there. But to tie that back to Old City, you know, we have lost our diners over the years, as everywhere has, especially in Philadelphia.
0: One second, Um, I'm going to back up for one minute. So did you pick Little Pete's in the Philadelphian as your place? Yes. Is it as greasy as a spoon as the one on 17th Street was?
1: Um, it's got a different aesthetic, but the food quality is at the same height.
0: I, I think you must, you're probably the youngest person dining in there by at least 40 years now. Oh, no, no. There's
1: <laughs> lots of grandkids in there. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> right. 40 year old grandkids. right? right. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> okay, great. Now get to, back to your point uh, about dining in Old City.
1: Well, I mean, we have a burgeoning restaurant scene, and we still do. Of I mean, course. We still have a bar scene. The bars are now serving incredible food, but we also have high-end restaurants like, you know, Fork, for Forsythia, Royal Boucherie. But we've lost our diners over the last couple of decades, right? Continental was a diner at one point. Snow White was a diner. And Mrs. K's, which is still available um, on the 300 block of Chestnut Street, was Right a, next
0: to a Budokan, diner, right? Yep.
1: Exactly, in the same yep. building. And they had the W counter, um, old city still has some, some needs in service. You know, one of the, one of our goals in the vision document in terms of retail attraction was to attract neighborhood serving retail. And so, you know, I mentioned some of the higher end restaurants where I'm I'm not going to go out to dinner every night. Um, but you know, we attracted a hardware store that was great for the neighborhood. We attracted river wards. That was great for the neighborhood. Um, I would love to have a diner back in the neighborhood.
0: Who wouldn't diners are a dying breed in the city of philadelphia as a whole so it's it would be great especially on a late you know if you happen to be out late to get a cream cheese chip beef on toast <laughs> right <laughs> with the shredded potatoes like the old days right um but you won't if you're leaving a nightclub to go it, it'll probably be a nightclub on delaware avenue and not necessarily off of market street and that's okay right
1: yes absolutely
0: Job, thank you so much for joining us today Uh, It was a real pleasure to talk to you about uh, probably my second favorite neighborhood in all of Philadelphia, Old City. (laughs) Uh, Job Itzkowicz, thank you so much for joining us here on Philly Built. Thank you. Um, Have a good day now. You too. That's the show for today. Thank you for joining us here on Philly Built. If you'd like to get us some questions for future episodes, please shoot us an email at info at phillyzoning.com. And if you'd like to learn more about Philadelphia zoning, hit us up at phillyzoning.com. Philadelphia's zoning authority. See you next time.